If you want a referral-based business and you want to call that a mountain and you want to climb that mountain, you got to get climbing, right? Like it's it's a beautiful thing to have a referral-based business, but it doesn't happen by itself. You have to put in the work and build the relationships and give great service and do that lather, rinse, repeat over and over. You're listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Risser, Executive Vice President, Strategic Partnerships with Rate My Agent a digital marketing platform designed to help great agents harness the power of verified reviews. For more information, head on over to ratemyagent.com. Listen in as I interview industry leaders and get their stories and journeys to the world of real estate. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 323 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. Today, we get to talk to an agent who has done something I've never heard of for a realtor yet in over 300 interviews. I won't tell you what it is. You have to listen to to, to find that out. But we're going to be talking to Sarita Dua. She's in the Portland area with Keller Williams. She has Ask Sarita. That's her uh, her website, askserita.com. And she's, that's been her branding for, I think, 19 years. She, she actually created that prior to even getting her license. So uh, that gives you a hint about some some of the things that Sarita does. Let's get this thing started. Sarita, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Bill, for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, I can't wait to chat with you. You have a very interesting story. I think you know that. It's it's, it's quite unique for a realtor to have the background you have. Would you agree with that? You know, I, yes and no. I think we all have crazy, unique stories, but I've never really stopped and thought about it. And But I do probably have a, a little bit of a unique path. Yeah. So this, this will be fun. And, and by the way, I think there's only out of 320 plus interviews, there might be six people like who knew they were going to be a realtor when they were 12, right? It's a, it's always that, that uh, second path, right? It just seems like it's it's such a heavy, heavy influence there. So I know you're in Portland now and you're doing some great stuff there. We'll chat about that, but you're not a native Oregonian, right? That's correct. I'm not. Let's start at the beginning. What was home for you? Where did you grow up? I was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. And uh, my parents actually were our immigrant parents. They got married in India and settled in Michigan in 1964. So I was born and raised there. Wow. Um, My, my favorite question to ask about someone's hometown. And I'm trying to think of, I've had, I've had some people from Michigan, but maybe not Detroit. So uh, I I just love the way these answers can go and never know. Um, What's first of all, I, I want to hear a little bit about growing up there, but then give me the biggest misconception about that area. Okay, that's a great question. Um, about well, let's start with the misconception. Detroit is not as crazy, rough, or violent as some people assume that downtown Detroit that's like scary or whatever. Detroit was for me just like this great. I had a great sort of Midwestern upbringing. We actually did grow up in the suburbs and Detroit, the city downtown has actually changed a lot. There was a time where we didn't hang out there. And now the the biggest surprise of Detroit is downtown Detroit itself. It is the place we call it the D um, and it's where all the sports teams play and it's just got a burgeoning food scene and great rooftop bars and craft breweries. It's just a really fun place. And most people would not know that or even assume that they would sort of avoid downtown because of some preconceptions from way back when. 
So you were, what, what, what part of the, the suburbs were you in? What was your... So I grew up in uh, this place, Shelby Township, Michigan. It's uh, born and raised in Warren. My dad was, he was 30 years Chrysler. And wow. in fact, um, back then, especially if you were from a different country like India, it was sort of the Silicon Valley before Silicon Valley. A lot of young engineers from countries like India were able to get to Detroit, Michigan, because companies like GM, Ford, and Chrysler needed engineers. And so that was kind of a, a way for my dad to get there and get citizenship and really add value and, and provide uh, contribution to the companies he was he was with. So that's sort of how that started. And then we were always kind of tied to automotive to the point where I'll be honest, I couldn't wait to get out because I went to, I went to high school and college at a time where, you know, we want, we can talk, we're going to talk, I'm sure about real estate cycles. There was automotive recessionary cycles where, you know, you know, my dad, my uncles and other family members, cousins were always nervous if they were going to get laid off or not. And I didn't want my livelihood to be tied to an industry that was so up and down. And so I, I actually went to a very small college that was tied to automotive as well. It was called at the time General Motors Institute, GMI, and it's now rebranded as Kettering University. And although I didn't work for automotive, I worked for a hospital and then I worked for Intel. All of the students did a five-year program for a bachelor's instead of four, but you did three months school, three months work, three months school, three months work, all five years. And you graduated with two and a half years work experience. 95% of us graduated with really good job offers. That's interesting. I, I, I had, first of all, I had no clue there was a GMI. Right. <laughs> so that's a, already, already and learned. And those of us that went there still call it GMI. I'm not used to calling it Kettering yet. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I have to bring this up. Like I, I grew up in San Diego, huge fan of the San Diego Padres. In fact, I worked for him for 12 years later on. But in 1984, and I don't know if you remember this or not, but the Padres played the Tigers in the World Series. And there was this guy named Kurt Gibson who was a real pain for the Padres and uh, we ended up winning one game, but we ended up, you know, th that was a year the Tigers started 35 and five. They were an amazing team. Yeah. We so I don't, do you remember that at all? Of course I graduated high school. I don't mind outing my age. I graduated okay. high school in 87 and I, um, we used to listen. I remember a garage sale stereo component set. It was really just an AM FM radio with, with two speakers. We still listen to baseball, you know, just listen to games. Like it was, either on TV, but like we didn't have cable back then. So if someone else was watching anything else, we couldn't watch the game. So we'd listen and it was Kirk Gibson, Chet Lemon, Lance Parrish. I remember all of them. Um, and it was Alan Trammell, like all Jack of them. Morris. Was, yeah, yeah, it was really great. And I'll be honest. I mean, Detroiters love their sports. Sometimes it's tough to be a Detroit fan, like the Lions. It is like the curse to be a Detroit Lions fan. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but, but you had the Red Wings. I mean, yeah, look, you had, had the Red Wings. Stuff, we did, right. and, and I loved, we had the Pistons and we had, yeah. you know, back in the, the bad boys um, regime of, you know, uh, of the Pistons, the Pistons as well. We, I actually miss, we'll talk about my journey to Portland, but I do miss having like four to five major teams uh, in your market, as opposed yeah. to like, we only have one in Portland. It's we have, right. we have MLS soccer now, but we have mainly NBA basketball and that's it. Um, so not to be a football fan and not have an NFL team. It's rough. Yeah. Let me, I, I have to ask you this. So I discovered yeah. you posted on social about your son 
getting an internship with the Lions this summer, and which I think is fantastic. And I, I mentioned I spent 12 years um, with the Padres, but I had a, a one year with the Chargers in there, and it was, a, it was nice. And so I guess my question is, first of all, did you and your husband kind of I don't want to say I don't want to say curse him with the Detroit Lions fandom, but is that is that kind of the case? No, it's funny because we we became less Lions fans okay. when because we, we moved from Boston and we were Patriots fans. No judgment, I see your hat. Um, no, but we were Patriots fans, so I was less of a Lions fan uh, in my adult years. I was definitely a Lions fan growing up. I actually love yeah. the Vikings too, so I was weird. But uh, my brother was a diehard Lions fan. All of my cousins are Lions fans. And um, my son, just to, yeah, absolutely. You're right. He's at the Lions and I'm so proud of him for getting an internship in the NFL. Um, he is a senior, he'll be a senior this fall at Syracuse studying sports management. Nice. And what was fun about this kid is he, he just has sports in his blood. Like I'd pick him up from daycare at like age six or seven. And he would be like, mama, LaMarcus Aldridge got traded. Uh, and I'm like, how do you know this? You barely can go to the bathroom by yourself. You definitely are a questionable reader. But he knew, like, he didn't have a phone, but he kind of knew who had a phone and who would know. And so then apparently, even when he was like 10 or 11, he would worm his way onto the Cousins fantasy football team. And my brother would text me. He's like, hey, I don't know if we should let him in. He's pretty persistent. It, you know, it's a hundred bucks entry and we do this thing. And and I'm like, hey, let him learn, just do it. And the kid won the first two or three years every year because not only is he a big fan, he will not let up. He'll be like, you know, he would say to my to my brother, you know, uncle, you got to do this, you got to do this. Like he would beat him down with batter him with trades until my my brother would finally be like, fine, go ahead, take him. And so it was. It's just really fun to see this. Uh, it happened to be the Lions, but he would have worked honestly anywhere in, okay. in a sports team. He's looking to align himself with, uh, with, you know, the cool thing with sports management is you can work with the team. You can be in oper- game day operations. You can do yep. the uh, ticket size and sales and sponsorships. There's so many elements of it. And the idea is to kind of try different things out to figure out what you like and what you don't. And yep. he does love uh, working for a team. He's running the uh, summer football camps and kind of a liaison between the team and the different high school organizations. And he's loving it. Well, that's great. Congratulations there, mom. Great job. Um, Let's, 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 let's then talk about how, how do you get to Portland? What, what you, you said you wanted to get out of the the, the area and it was just because it was all, it was all automotive all the time for you. What, what led to the, to move? So a couple of the best things in my life are, are happy accidents. But then if you believe there's no accidents, maybe it was all by design. I, I, I went to college as a management major the first three semesters. Uh, GMI was known for having engineering and management. And three semesters in, I switched to electrical engineering. And so I, you, when you're talking about a rare path of real estate, I, I actually bucked the trend. A lot of people, not to say that there was anything easy or negative about management, but some people switch from engineering to management. And mm-hmm. I sort of went upstream the other way. And I think I realized I was always been, I've always been strong in math and science. I love the exactness of engineering. Like there's a problem, there's a problem set. You get an answer, you put a box around it, it's right or wrong. And so I felt like even if I wouldn't do engineering, an electrical engineering degree would let me do probably anything related to computers or information systems versus a management 
MIS or management information systems degree might limit me. So I went and I, I did electrical engineering and then I ended up working for Intel. That was my company that I, that I was working with in college. I joined, it's funny that I actually always called it the Top Gun program, even before this movie was back out as, a, as, as the redo. I kind of joined what I would call the Top Gun program at Intel, which was about 20 of us that had to be double E or computer science majors. And we did a two-year rotation program in different marketing and engineering functions to then go into sales. And I realized in my career, and maybe it's maybe I'm a BSer and that's why, but you can have that exactness of engineering of getting things right and you know with, with the math and the answer and the problem that I just described. You could also be good at communication, but there was a rare Venn diagram sliver if you could do both, right? Take be engineering minded, but be able to articulate how a client would solve a problem either by saving time or saving money with your solutions. So it's a very consultative approach. And so when I call it the top fund program, we got into this program, we all did these rotations and then we got placed into, we got at age 23, a company car, a bag carrying salesperson for Intel. So my rotations were in New Jersey, Princeton, New Jersey, Chandler, Arizona, the Phoenix area, and then the Bay area. And then I, and my final placement was in Boston. And so I was single, loving my life, working hard and selling for Intel, calling on accounts in Boston. Loved tech. I mean, I love tech. I never, ever thought I'd leave tech. Um, and of course, the light, lightning struck. I met my husband uh, there, met him in Boston, got engaged, got married, first baby, first house. Like that was our life. And then in an interesting twist, my husband is the reason we're in Portland, although I'll take some credit for it. Being at Intel, Portland was a big uh, campus for Intel, mm -hmm. as is the Bay Area and Arizona, as I mentioned, and a few other places. So I was traveling to Portland a lot with my client. And my husband, who's a textile engineering, he's a textile engineer, so he literally designs, R he does R&D for fabrics or you know materials, materials R&D. He had an opportunity to interview with Nike. And I told him, honey, we have this new baby. She's literally eight weeks old. We haven't slept for eight weeks like since we had her. Go for the interview, but don't like the job because I had this dream of I want to be near Michigan. We had picked kind of Chicago or I wanted to be near his parents who were in Raleigh. We had picked D.C. So like big cities near our hometowns, but not in our hometowns because um, his family was based in Raleigh. And and so I'm like, go for the interview. It's a great city, but I don't want to I don't want to be that mom that. I want grandma and grandpa to come to the soccer games or come to the, to the plays and the spelling bees. Right. And so don't like it. <laughs> so of course, you know how the story is going to end. Yep. He literally goes to the interview and he calls me from the interview. Now I'm really dating myself. We had bag phones with like star tech flip phones, nice. with like two minute batteries. He calls me. I'm like, why are you spending your minutes calling me? And he says, Hey, I love it. And I literally made a joke, like, I hope your new family uh, loves it too. And send me Christmas cards because I'm not moving to Portland. And this is, again, those accidents. Two weeks later, we were on our house hunting trip to Portland. And it's where we settled in 1999. We've been here out coming up on 23 years. Our daughter was born in Boston and never stepped, like never took a step in Boston. She, we moved when she was yeah. two months old. And my son was born in Portland. So that's sort of what, and, my, and I, interestingly, my husband is still at Nike. 
Uh, 23 years later, he's in our materials research for footwear. So he's actually has patents for some of the coolest uh, technology that they have. Uh, Flyknit, if you've heard of it, is a type of uh, fabric in the shoe. And of course, it's all a team sport at Nike, but he's on the team that has come up with many of those technologies. So I'm really proud of him. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, that <laughs> this is uh, once again, this is why I do this podcast because <laughs> I get to learn so much about people. I mean, so I know you from I know you from Inman and Realtor, and, you know the Realtor events, other things, but this is fantastic. Um, so you can say we're engineers, both of us, right? Probably <laughs> yeah. married to a textile engineer, uh, and then ended up in Portland. Absolutely. Somehow you decide it's time for you to enter the world of real estate. This is right. a fun part of this interview every time because. You know, what was that trigger? What was that thing that you said, okay, this is it. This is the time. Well, I'll tell you what it wasn't. It wasn't that I loved houses. Um, It wasn't like I was an architecture fiend or like I watched HGTV or any of that. It was having a two and a four-year-old loving tech, but being client facing. My large accounts were in Dallas or Atlanta or Chicago. I was um, like kind of, we had these large named accounts after Intel. I was at several startups, but gravitated, I should say that like hundred person type companies where mm-hmm. it's like, we have a great idea. Awesome. Do it. You know, like it was your idea. Go do that. In, the, in addition to all the other jobs you have. I loved the energy. I loved how hard we worked. I loved sales as well in that you could see your you could see your impact right if you're working on sales marketing biz dev product marketing those those were the things that i was doing and i loved it but two and a four-year-old no family in portland um and if if basically um we would play my husband and i would play rock paper scissors because he was traveling to vietnam and germany and in fact, right now he's on a 17, 17 day trip to, to Europe. So between the trade shows and the vendor visits and everything else, he was in Europe and Asia a lot. Now it wasn't every day, but it would be like every month and a half, he'd have a 10 day trip. Meanwhile, I would have quarterly business reviews and whatever. And we look at each other, like the kids were in daycare or like if there was an ear infection, who's going to change their schedule. We, there was times where I was landing at 543 and daycare pickup was six. Like I had no room for error. And so we just kind of looked at each other and said, something has to give. We were both on these sort of hamster wheels. We both loved our career, but we felt, and, and this is, this is going to sound like the most humble brag. And I'm not trying to say this unhumbly or whatever, but the reality is back then in my early thirties, I had no problem helping people, but I had a problem asking for help. I know now when you care about people and you think of your friends as family, asking them for help is a way of showing that you actually love them and you need them. But at the time, I was that person who would do anything for anyone. 6 a.m., we're going to the airport. Let's go. I got your Starbucks order. Let's go. It's 440. I'm in the car. Uh, but if you're in my row on the plane and you live in my neighborhood, I wouldn't ask you for a ride. It just was this weird I don't know if it was cultural, Bill. I don't know what it was, but I just had a hard time. So my husband looked at me and he's like, hey, we got we to do something. Like, this isn't working. And I pushed hard. I'm like, listen, if you want me to quit, quit my job and make dinner and stuff, like nothing against anyone who does that. That isn't me. Like, you're going to starve because I don't even cook. He's the chef of our family. So like, I am not that sort of, I, I need to do a lot of things. That's just how I'm wired. In fact, daycare was great for my kids because they would have B is but you know, B is for butter week. We're gonna make butter. And I just would never think of doing that, right? So like I loved like that there was people that knew how to do this thing better than me. 
but I knew that something had to give. So I looked at different careers where I could be, I had done my MBA actually uh, in entrepreneurial management. I love the startup scene. So how could I have my own business and not have to go ask Mark Cuban or Barbara Corcoran on Shark Tank for money, right? Like don't invent the newest draw and need money, but like, so it had to be service-based. So I looked at mortgages, financial planning, insurance, and real estate. I was pretty methodical about it. I wrote a, I, I interviewed brokers. I wrote a business plan. I asked them all how it, what would it take to succeed? They, I was making really good money in tech, even for back then. And they would say to me, you'd be lucky if you make 40,000 your first year. And the duas as a family had a ramen noodle only number, and it was definitely higher than 40,000. So I'm like, okay, how is this going to work? So I did, um, I did my homework and I chose real estate. The irony of the whole thing, Bill, is, is real estate. Yes, I do love houses now. I do love architecture. I, I, I lived in a beautiful 1910 four square that we've, we remodeled and fixed up. But really, real estate is people and project management. And that is the common theme that I had through my whole career. Even large-scale account management, product management, product marketing, it's really people and project management. Telling people uh, what's going to happen, what just happened, what's happening now, what's going to happen next. Solving problems before they become problems. Risk management. That's really what what this is. And the way I look at it is every problem that we come across came across was an opportunity to to then bulletproof our system. So we wouldn't have that. Now we'd have a different problem, but we wouldn't have that same problem over and over because we now account for it. So it really was in line with what I did, even though it looks like a huge, like sharp left that I took or, you know, a sharp turn off the off course. It really was on course. And once I got a taste of really being self-employed and managing my, and I actually knew, by the way, join a team. That's really the best way to do it. Everyone told me join a team and I know, and I'm so learning based. I would have joined a team, but the reality was I was on a team, my company, and I felt like I would have to literally call in sick because if there was any, anything that went wrong with our family, like I couldn't do it. And so my whole thing was that freedom and flexibility that everybody wants when they're a realtor. I really did need that. Therefore I went out on my own because I I couldn't, if I was going to be on a team, then I'm not going to let my team leader down. And I needed, like, I also wanted to be the mom who maybe took an afternoon and went to the bowling party with, with, with the second grade, which like in the tech environments I was in, I remember the one time I did that, like all all hell broke loose. Like we had to roll out, we had to roll it back. I mean, all, all sorts of, not to say that I was the reason it was just, I had my phone off when I turned it back on and I had 50 unread messages because like we were just so scotch taped together sometimes that we didn't have the the flexibility to go do things for fun. Look, your version of I want the job because of the freedom to to do what I want to do is quite different than like 99.9% of realtors version of I want the freedom to do what I want to do. Really, you think about it. um, You've completely laid out the exact way to become a realtor. And very few have followed that path. There are some. It's, it's It's very interesting to see people that put the like this is a business. I'm a, I'm an entrepreneur. I've got a startup here. It's called XYZ Realty, and I'm going to apply these business you know um, 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 standards to my business. You know that doesn't happen. And look, well, let's talk about this. You help others, right? You're you like you said. That's who you are. You've you've coached. You you've trained. You teach. 
uh, you must talk about this. You must talk to people about the fact that you have got to treat your business like a business. In fact, there is an exit strategy if you have a real business, you know, and if not, you don't, right? Absolutely. It's really, I mean, I love, I'm a coach now. I love coaching and training and, um, and there's a method to this madness. Like I think people think, oh, you know, you moved to Portland, you have this great sphere-based business. When we landed, Portland's known for having green carpet at the airport. When we landed at PDX and saw that green carpet, we knew absolutely zero people. We knew one person, which was my husband's hiring manager. And it was Christmas week, which was our house hunting trip. And the guy felt, he's a dear friend of ours still, Ed. Ed felt bad for us. He invited us for Christmas dinner with his family because we were in a hotel. But like I landed in Portland not knowing anywhere. No, I didn't go to college here. I didn't like I didn't I didn't have a bunch of friends. Like mm-hmm. I built it, you know, we built our life here. Sure, I did work for four startups. I was part of the Indian community. I had my neighbors, but when I when I actually started, I created my domain name Asterita and my brand prior to getting my license. And then I came up with my list of people I knew and I did a mailer like, hey, you know me from this tech committee or this startup, but this is what I'm doing now. Of course, I'm here to help you buy or sell our house. But if you even have any question at all, maybe it's just, do I need a new roof or should I, should I, what type of material should I use on my deck? Call me. I'm here. I'm your real estate resource. I'm here to help. And it really became, cause I love that connection piece. Yeah. And Inman is a great example, right? We're connectors, but like just listening to somebody, what's their problem, finding the match and even polling or crowdsourcing that answer with my community, my vendors, my database, my, my past clients and asking like if someone wants to know about a school and my kids didn't go to that school. I know someone in my database who went to that school, let me connect you. So I really love that piece of it, but you're right. It wasn't by accident. It was very deliberate and it was, um, and it was a lot of work. I did, um, I did a leads group BNI for seven years. The first seven years, every Tuesday, I went to a leads group. Let's be honest. They're trading haircuts and house cleaning and car details more than they are homes. Meaning I gave more referrals at lower price points than they gave to me, but it wasn't about that. It was building that Rolodex so that I knew, Oh, you want your car detailed? Go to this guy. You want insurance? Eric's your man. Right. And so I did that. I also had this other sort of a a lucky thing happen. I mean, lucky, lucky is an interesting word, but my in-laws ended up moving to Portland. My, my mom, this is why I'd say it's, it's not necessarily all good. My mother-in-law's health was deteriorating. We wanted her near us. She had, um, memory loss and eventually passed away of Alzheimer's. But when she was here from 2001 to 2007, the kids, my oldest at that time was, it was two to about about six. They were like, that was right around when I was starting real estate. And my husband said, honey, you've got this, go do your thing. No offense. They do love you, but they love me more. (laughs) So I'm going to take them grocery shopping. I'm going to get, I've got my parents and the kids on the, on the same nap schedule on the weekends. I'll go do that. You go do what you need to do. So I did two open houses Saturday, two open houses Sunday for probably the first three years of my career. I put in the work, but I was also very fortunate to have a family situation where I could be around for the kids a little bit more during the week and I could crank and grind during the weekend and the kids sort of won because there was always a parent around. And um, it was a great way for, I just believe if you want a referral based business and you want to call that a mountain and you want to climb that mountain, you got to get climbing, right? Like it's, it's a beautiful thing to have a referral based business, but it doesn't happen by itself. You have to put in the work and build the relationships and give great service and do that lather, rinse, repeat over and over. 
you ended up joining Keller Williams after you became successful in the, in the industry. And I, I don't, this is no knock on Keller Williams. You can't knock Keller Williams. They're an amazing operation, but it seems like people go there first to learn, right? And to, because they're well known for their training, education. It's, it's a, it's baked into them. But what, what, what drew you to Keller Williams, which who, who you're still with today? That's correct. Yeah. I, um, I went backwards on that. And again, no, no regrets. It was like a perfect way to do it. I joined, I had an Achilles heel I felt, right? Which was, I didn't have experience. I'm new to the industry, brand new before Keller Williams, a brand new agent, and I didn't have experience. So I aligned aligned myself with a boutique firm Mm -hmm. that didn't take a lot of new agents. They did take a few and they were known as experienced agents. Their average agent had seven years experience. Many of them had decades of experience. And I felt like I'm going to be an advisor here and I don't know real estate. I want to hang my shingle with a brand that, that means experience. And I loved it. I was there for five years. Some of my best friends are are still from those years, whether they're at my brokerage or a different brokerage. Um, And then I went to another boutique brokerage uh, downtown because I'm also a very urban girl. I love downtowns. And then I, ended up, we're big travelers, Bill, that's another um, vector of our story. We're big travelers and Nike gives a sabbatical to their employees. After 10 years, you get five weeks paid. And then every five years you get five weeks paid and you can add that to your four weeks of vacation and go, go somewhere awesome or clean your house or move or, you know, jump in an RV, whatever you want to do. We decided to do an Asia trip for seven weeks and I was still at this boutique brokerage, the, the second one, and I had a great uh, colleague that covered my business. I wasn't doing that many transactions at the time. I was around the 50, 50 transactions a year mark. Um, I, I took off for seven, um, seven weeks and I came back. And of course, I didn't have the greatest year that year, right? And now this was 09. 10. I mean, we had just come back. We had, you know, we had the boom, we had the bust and 08 and 09 were tough years in real estate. And so I was coming off that trip was 09. And so in 2010, I was blaming um, the react, you know, my business results on the market. I just was like, well, it's the market. Plus I have a, I'm based downtown and condos are not selling and the tax credits aren't working. And they pulled off, they stopped those tax credits. And you know, and I'm never victim mentality, but it was pretty easy to sort of blame. And it's kind of, we can really translate that to what's happening today. It's very easy to blame results uh, based on outside factors, right? Instead of looking inward. So uh, Keller, this is the one thing about me that's very consistent even now is I love training and coaching and learning. I am an education junkie. I really do believe if you are a PhD at something, you're a kindergartner at the next thing. And the minute we stop learning, we start dying. I really, you never get to the destination with regards to learning, whether it's reading a book, whether it's TED Talks, or at age 50, going back and getting another MBA, which I just did. Um, I just, I mean, it's, it's not just talk. I like, I walk the walk on that. And so I went to a Keller Williams conference and I just remember like, Again, feeling sorry for myself because I didn't have the best year, right? But blaming all these external things. And I am watching at the time Gary Keller would have a panel of three and it would be the best of, and they all actually weren't Keller Williams agents, but it would be, this is showing you that my age of of the market, it would be best of Craigslist, best of short sales, best of open houses, best of luxury. And you would hear these people and 
Bill, they were all having their best year ever. And I, and I literally said it uh, under my breath. Actually, I think I even said it out loud, like, oh, shoot, it's not the market. It's me. And I knew I wanted to be in an environment that just really values coaching and training at every level. And so that's what, that was my thing. I'm not, I, I'm a big believer. I'm very brokerage agnostic. Like everybody did, do you, like, I don't unfriend people based on what brokerage they went to. I don't really, it's, you're the brand, your logo is yep. secondary. But I do believe uh, for me, a culture that's education and productivity based was a really great fit for my personality. And it still is. Yeah. You say education, you get a, um, a certificate. I'm not sure what they call the, the, it's the core E, but whatever they call that at a Harvard business school, you go there or you you do attain that, but you just got an MBA from MIT. Why? why? I mean, I understand (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you like education, but that's, isn't that pretty important? That, that had to take a lot of time. That it did take a lot of time. That I might say might be one of my just craziest <laughs> ideas ever. Okay. I'd like to chalk it up to maybe a little bit of a midlife crisis, but I have no regrets. I love that I did it. Um, the reality was I was involved with working closely with Gary on some technology initiatives huh. and we were I was reading books about platform strategy, AI, and business intelligence and machine learning. I have a daughter that's a a data science, biomedical engineering double major. There's all this stuff in the world, Bill, that we do not know. And the more I read it, I read about it, the more I realized I didn't know. And I'm like, what is all this? Like when I did my first MBA, we were faxing in our homework, right? Like we didn't have any of this. So I just missed learning. And so this executive MBA is a, it's a real MBA. It's a, it's a 20 month program It involves 26 trips to Boston plus five one week modules. So it's a lot of travel. It wasn't online. You were actually in Boston for a Friday and Saturday, which means I traveled Thursday and Sunday. And then when I wasn't in Boston, so every two to three weeks when I wasn't in Cambridge uh, mass, I was doing 15 to 20 hours of homework. There were people that were sponsored by their companies. I paid every dollar of it out of my own pocket. I could have bought multiple rental properties probably with it. But the reality is when you pay for something, whether it's with time or with money, you're going to do it. Like you're not, I'm not, I wasn't skating by, I wasn't just there for the the mixers and the, I'll just skim through the questions. Like I, I did the work and I loved it. I, the reality is I didn't do it to change my career, but you change. You, you, it's like when you see light, you can't unsee it. When you think big, you can't think small again. Hmm. So one, I have 125 classmates from around the world that are all VP CEOs, founders, and head up, you know, lead administrators in their companies. Um, but I also uh, applied, I was sitting there in class. And when we're doing an exercise on how to manage, we were doing a case study on patients that were going to the to the, to the doctors and and the emergency room. When we were doing a case on how to manage, manage efficiency and minimize inefficiency, I did that. I did that paper on how I do reviews. What's my review process and what is it today? And where are the, where are the uh, bottlenecks and where's the time, you know, where, where are things falling down and where are we inefficient? And so I would take every course and apply it to my business. And I couldn't wait to get back on Monday and literally real time apply things. So one, I changed as a person. Um, Two, um, I actually 
ended up um, interviewing and getting exciting uh, opportunities that I probably wouldn't have even approached if I hadn't done my MBA. So I, I looked at business even differently. And then third, I mean, this is definitely like stay tuned, but I want to take my lessons learned and find a way to coach and train people with those, because I do think like, I just, so you're right in the rare piece. I don't think there's a bunch of people that are agents that are going to take two years of their life and $200,000 and go to MIT. So how can I provide them the cliff notes? Now I'm not saying that, that I can give them the same experience, but are there some nuggets that we can take that people can apply with, like, I took one for the team, right? And, and by the way, I mean, MIT would know this too. Like, there's no way of duplicating that, that experience. But can I share some lessons learned so that people get a taste of it for, for the, the very, very, very light version so that, that some of what I've learned can trickle into how people can better their business, right? So if there's interest, of course. So I, I love what I did. I have no regrets. I'm a better I'm a better leader. I'm a better person. I'm a better wife and mom and community member because of what I did. Plus, let's be real. The busier you are, the busier you are. It's just that way. Like the more I have on my plate, the more, if you know, the more I can take on. I ended up in the middle of that, losing 70 pounds and doing the New York marathon. So like, it's just, I am a goal getter. Let's just, I'm not even a goal setter. I am a goal getter. You are shaming a lot of people listening to this episode The more I cram in, the more I do. And that's just me. I mean, there's wow. the joke with all of my friends is we know why you do all the training and all the travel, because we all know that the day before a trip is the most, uh, the most productive. It's the yep. day you don't eat lunch. It's the day yep. that you are the most productive because you know, you're going out of town. So if you do that a lot, you end up being very, very productive. I time block like the Dickens. Like I am just always looking at when am I in town? What are the meetings I need to have? What are the things it took us a while to even schedule this because it's like yeah. I'm very uh, deliberate on how I spend my time because I want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can and maximizing FaceTime when I'm in town so that I can also enjoy when I'm not. Offline, we have to talk about your review case study. You know, I'm with Rate My Agent, so I have, yes. I have a lot of questions for you. Yes. <laughs> you're, you're, it's going to be great. Let's talk about what's happening today, right? The shift word is back. It, it always pops up every mm, so many years. And, um, you know, inventories seems to be listing inventories coming back. Then you got interest rates going. There's all this stuff happening. What do you, what's your take? What would you say to somebody who said, Sarita, what's, what's going on? What, what should I do? Or, you know, so I, I, should I buy? Should I sell? Should I sit tight? What do you say? It's, it's such a great question. It is definitely the market of the moment right now. Everything happens in cycles, right? We, you know, so I'm not answering your question yet. I'm just giving my little background here, which is everything happens in cycles. And we've been enjoying a hyper sellers market since pretty much in, in our market on the West coast in Portland, Oregon, since 2013. Um, so the message for me for buyers is the market is stabilizing. Let's talk about what your goals are because there may be more opportunity for you today than there ever was. Right. And so offline speaker note is we used to have A, B, and C buyers, 
those A plus buyers were the only ones, to be honest, that were successful in a hyper seller's market. Everything mm -hmm. was multiple offers. Everything was how much over let's waive everything. No inspection, no, you know, appraisal, all this stuff. And there was plenty of people that were great. You know, they had 20% down or maybe they had FHA or maybe they needed closing costs or maybe they needed some concessions or whatever their story was. And we were not successful because of how competitive the market is. I am now going back to those buyers and saying, we now have a window that's opening up that may may provide opportunity for you that didn't before. Let's talk about what your goals are. Let's figure out what you want. Now more than ever with the market that's stabilizing, we may be able to, to help you if really, you know, if you're looking to buy, I, I fully believe this, right? You're paying a mortgage, whether it's yours or your landlord. So I am a strong believer on the benefits of buying appreciation, tax benefits, and everything else. My daughter, who's not very emote, hugged me for no reason the other day because the reason was she bought in February at 3%, 3.25, and and rates have doubled. And she's a she says it, Mom, I'm a millennial. We don't like to settle down. And then she says to me now, I am so thankful. I actually just went to a mortgage calculator and looked at what my payment would have been. Mm -hmm. So like at the end of the day, we don't know where rates are going, but we do know the financial market is creative when it comes to rates. There yeah. will be programs. We also know rates go up and down. So it, the rates that go up aren't going to stay high forever. I, I remember buying in 05 and 06. My first house was 8% in 1996. I remember in 05, 06 paying top dollar in as we were booming. And, and I remember doing uh, an arm at six and a half percent and eventually getting getting down under four, actually under five. We were so happy. We were in the fours. Now, everybody I know has refied and this is a cycle. So but the message to buyers is there is opportunity. The message to sellers is and we used to use this phrase all the time. But, you know, this is where I love the, the gray hair that we bring to the table because I've seen this before in 19 years. We've seen ups and downs. These agents that have been in five years or less, unfortunately, they, they're not used to price reductions. They're not used to a weekend with a listing on the market more than the weekend, right? So so the dialogue of price reductions, the, it's all expectation setting with the sellers. Yep. But we used to use a phrase that it's a price war in a beauty contest. Your house had to look the best, but also had to be very competitively priced. Sometimes we just give something for free. We give the square footage for free or the view for free or whatever. That's how we price it. And the reality for sellers is those that, those that are trying to get their house perfect. It's like, yes, you do have to be perfect. Like you have to look good, but, but get on the market sooner than later for a couple of reasons. One, the meter might have to run longer than before, right? Mm -hmm. If things are going to take months as opposed to days or weeks, we need to be ready for that. And then second, you never know when your neighbor's going to screw you up. Honestly, you just don't. And so like, you know, if somebody is super motivated and they drop their shorts on pricing, sometimes it is a price move, price drop, price word at the bottom. And again, for the sellers, it's not about why, you know, why you're selling the house. It's where are you going to? What is their motivation? What does this sale represent? What is their next chapter look like? And if they have the pain, uh, it's not usually the pleasure of what they're going to. It's like, what, what problem are we solving so that you can get to that next chapter? Let's talk right. about that. And if they don't have a problem, don't do it. Right. But if they do, I think for, for what we're seeing, there is two sets of agents. There's the optimists that are like Sarita inventory is still like a month. Like, I don't know what these people are talking about. Right. The reality is market stats are 
lagging indicators. They're not leading indicators. Showings are the leading indicator indicators. So, and talking about people every day about what happened to your listing yesterday, what happened to your new listing from Thursday. We're changing all of our methods, right? We used to be Thursday on the market, Sunday, uh, close showings, offer review Monday or Tuesday. Now we're not doing any of those things. I mean, we'll do them if we have multiple offers, but but we're thinking, you know, we're going to see price moves. We're seeing brokers upwards. We're seeing earlier listings. We're, you know, we need people that notice that the house is on the market. There's a lot. This is where the creativity shines. This is where we get to sharpen our skills. But I do think everybody, it's a contact sport. I have this phrase of if buyers are, and sellers are swimming in a pool, we don't need to find people on the edge of the pool or on the diving board and push them in. We have to find the people that are already in the pool. Mm. And we have to have more conversations to find those people. I'm not, I don't need to convince anyone now's the time. I need to just understand what their story is, understand what their motivation is, let them know what their options are and have that conversation over and over with them so that when they are in the pool, we're there for them. But you just have to have more conversations. And so everyone should be doubling and tripling down on the number of conversations they're having. All those offers they wrote that didn't come together. Those are the people we need to talk to. All those CMAs we've done that didn't list, those are the people we need to talk to. Any inquiry, hey, at one point you were looking to buy or sell a home in our local area. Are you still out there? Let's have a strategy session. Hmm. It's just, it's just, let's have a conversation of what your needs are. Sarita, this, this has been amazing. And I really wish we had like an hour and a half. Maybe, maybe there'll be a part two somewhere down the road with you, <laughs> but, but let's talk about, uh, the final question I've asked every guest from day one, and that is what one piece of advice would you give a new agent just starting? Okay. And just for the record, everyone, I didn't get any questions. So I'm just thinking off the cuff here. Yep. Um, and for any agent, but especially new agents, yep. really the advice that I would give is advice that an agent gave to me. Well, there's a couple things. One, you control your mindset and you get to control how positive you are. Um, you get to control your activities. There's a lot of noise and there's a lot of negativity out there. Stay positive, control your mindset, whether it's your self-care, whether it's meditation, whatever you need to do to align yourself around positive people and stay positive. And then the best advice someone gave me when I was a brand new agent have fun with this and actually just do it. And so I'll just riff off my Nike affiliation. You know, we can spend a lot of time getting ready to get ready and getting to be perfect. I remember going to the office, setting up my desk, making sure I went to Staples every other day to get my office supplies. And it's just like my broker yelled at me, go, what are you doing here? Go out there, go talk to people, go visit houses, go adopt a client, go work with an agent, go figure it out. Um, and so the advice was the agent told me, just do it. And there's very little you can screw up in this business. Almost everything is one addendum away from a correction, right? And so yeah. sure, yes, you can screw up, you know, a few things, but for the most part, you know, there's a million people out there that will help. They'll literally give you their listing presentation. You can plug into all sorts of coaching and trading. You can become so skills-based though, that you're doing all the training, but you're not doing the doing, yeah. you just have to learn your license is your license to learn. You have to just go out there and do it and know that there's very little you can screw up. And so once you have that confidence of, yeah, everything's just one addendum away, even if you have the, a typo on the address or a typo on the price, like there's a lot of things you can do to correct things, just have 
have faith in, in just doing it. Cause that's where the, that's where the magic happens. That's where you learn. Sarita, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? So my handle on almost everything is ask Sarita. Um, so back to my tagline for real estate questions, big or small, ask Sarita. So I'm ask Sarita on Instagram. I'm ask Sarita on Twitter. If you look me up by my name, Sarita Dua, my maiden name is Lahodi, Sarita Lahodi Dua on Facebook. You'll find me there. Just friend me on anything. I'm also very accessible. My That number that you usually see on everything that is my personal cell, you can text me or reach out to me and I'm happy to help and connect you in any way any way I can. Sarita, this, this really was so much fun for me. Uh, first of all, to be able to talk sports so much is always cool. Um, I, you I'm know, the really... Beavers were a, a feeder team to the Padres. So like, but it, you know, the, 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 the whole, your, your ability to um, be in all these different parts of life um, and to make all that work. It's just really a fascinating story. One day, maybe that story should be published. I think I'm just going to throw that out there. Give you one more thing to do. I mean, you like being busy. Is that okay? I like being challenged. So thanks a lot, Bill. <laughs> now I've got yeah. another thing on my plate. It's fantastic. So thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Bill. It's an honor being here. I appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Sessions. Please head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash RE Sessions to leave a review or a rating and subscribe to the Real Estate Sessions podcast at your favorite podcast listening app. 